Hi, everyone. I'm Heather Mack with Greylock Partners. You're listening to Gray Matter, where we share stories from company builders and business leaders. This episode features a portion of a virtual town hall held in May with Greylock General Partner and LinkedIn co-founder, Reid Hoffman. The session was moderated by Greylock General Partner, David Thacker. Portfolio company founders joined the session to hear Reid's thoughts on investing and entrepreneurship within the current economic, political, and public health landscape. David Thacker opens the discussion. The underlying theme, of course, is the pandemic and how that's impacting things. But we want to talk about investing in this environment, uh, building a company in this environment, blitzscaling, tech trends. So uh, with that, uh, I want to turn over uh, the first question to read, which is uh, about investing, which is what do you think about investing in this environment? You know, what, what changes do you see coming to the to the VC industry as a result of this? And is there any changes to you personally as an investor? You know, obviously, there's a bunch of things around uncertainty and liquidity and all the rest, and everyone understands all that. It's still, of course, you're broadly speaking, trying to do contrarian and right and right changes. It changes because there's a general presumption in society, the market's pricing this way, it's kind of crazy, that, you know, in X months, one to three, things will return to some version of normal, and they think normal is going to be kind of like, okay, a recession state uh, that you'll be growing back out of. And the, the most classic kind of question is this, you know, like, what does the recovery look like? Is it an L? Is it a U? Is it a V? Et cetera. And actually, in fact, I think the, the much higher truth is volatility. Um, and that volatility will affect across the entire front, including the greater likelihood than less likelihood is that in the way the states are, are opening up, that we'll get a second wave of COVID. How big it will be, if it's a little small bump, doesn't really matter. If it's really big, it does matter. So you have to roughly say what I am planning is in volatility. Now, the way that changes patterns, whether it's uh, patterns in investment thesis, either as an investor or as a, as a company, is to say that it's much harder to say, look, I prove X in a product market fit, and now that just, I scale it and that works and so forth. It's almost like a, a little bit of a set of proofs as to what you're doing as you're adjusting and finding your product market fit and your product market fit to scale. Um, and the parts of your investment thesis that go into that, volatility means that that changes. It isn't as reliable or as stable. So uh, Greylock, we've already, uh, you know, the last couple of months, we've done some Series A's. I think Series A's are still going. You tend to want to have a longer trajectory to get in to the B and when the B happens as, as part of it. Investing in new things continues. I think investing in new scale things is obviously much rarer. But I think that, that you still have essentially a very similar pattern to investing before at the kind of the macro level, which is what is a what is a 10 plus year view? What is a macro of change of industries? What are uh, new technology and platforms that open up that don't kind of start saying, oh, because it's COVID, we now do X because the details of because it's COVID are gonna change a lot over the next year and investing in a year doesn't really, doesn't really give you anything other than philanthropic response. On the other hand, the volatility is very new, and the question about how you how you take measurement to fact in the learning journey that is a startup and is investing is going to be very different. And the problem about saying it's going to be exactly X is that, no, no, precisely the whole point is it's not going to be exactly X, it's going to be volatile. And so you have to be you know kind of tap dancing a lot more and adjusting a lot more. It's a much more like a constant and immediate dogfight. Great, uh, and so that's the the investor perspective. What about your your portfolio companies? What what advice are you giving them? And there were a lot of questions about uh, balancing, you know, the short term and sort of in terms of preserving cash balance sheets. 
you know, revenue generation versus the long term of investing and hiring engineers? How do you balance those trade-offs and what are you telling your portfolio companies right now? Well, the rough trade, a little bit like we said, is you say, well, typically, you know, call it a year ago and the last, you know, decade of bull market and everything else, it's um, how to figure out like kind of what the product market scale fit is and then apply as much rocket to it as possible. And you go, great, I've got a line. Let's go to scale, and then you adjust as you need to, whether it's you know into new into new markets or new verticals, or new product offerings that are adjunct to what you're doing, and that's 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 kind of the the playbook that you know over the last few decades uh, has really been played up in the valley. That's of course not false, but the and like in the new environment, but the major thing that's added to it is opposed to a pure focus on rocket ship, it's a focus on adaptability. Because given a bunch of different changing circumstances, a predictable overall circumstance that you can basically measure and drive predictions in, it's much more volatile. It doesn't mean 100% volatile. There is still predictability. It doesn't mean 0% predictability. It means a broader range within the predictability. And I think it changes your, your time frames a little bit, even though you, like all great companies, have a kind of a, a pole star and a a true north about this is the change in the world that we see coming, that we are a transformational part of, that we are assisting, that's still there. But the time frame about like, okay, should I be doing a three-year plan? Now, if it's a three-year plan because I'm doing the whole build and three years from now is when I pull back the curtains, okay, that can, that can, that can still work because you don't, volatility means you don't necessarily really know and you're still taking that hypothesis. But if you're doing the, okay, I'm in market, I'm quarter to quarter, you know, you may be as opposed to three years. You may be saying, "Okay, look, I'm I've got a, a and that may have been a a fifty percent focus. Now maybe that's a thirty percent focus, and there's a that additional twenty percent goes into you know kind of what is this quarter and what's going on. And I think that's the the environment that we're all in. I think one of the things that'll be frustrating about it that we say, "Okay, what's the new normal? What's the new normal? What's the way we start building the scale? What's the way we we like you know use the word blitzscaling in order to go?" And actually, in fact, and you know, by the way, it's still good goals. It's not wrong in that, but it's like, okay, presume that that it's just that everything's a little bit noisier, and it's not just noisier in epistemology, noisier in measurement, but actually noisier in principle, and that kind of thing will happen. You know, for example, it's like, well, one of the things that's going to happen over the next year is you have a general collapse of a bunch of SMBs, as much as we all try to, for societal reasons, to support them. Well, okay, that's one market, but then what happens to supply chain? What happens in real estate? What happens in all these things underneath that? And you can make some predictions, like are the, you know, kind of the move, the, the more move to, uh, you know, cloud and digital services and a bunch of other stuff, uh, you know, the drive in e-commerce, those kinds of things will, in fact, actually, in fact, be drivers in this. But, and you say, okay, those are macro things, but a lot of the micro stuff, you know, you don't know what the, the second order effects are going to be. And so you have to measure and and replan and replan and replan uh, on a, on a more lightweight basis uh, than you had to before. Great, and I, and I wanted to touch on one of the things that uh, you mentioned, which is just B two B sales. So for for startups selling into enterprises, a downturn like this is a time when companies start to become much more conservative. They cut budgets, cut capital budgets. They're less willing to take risks on new new unproven technologies. So do you have any advice that you give to your companies about how to maintain sales momentum and selling into these companies in a time like this? Well, um, one, super hard problem, right? There isn't a easy like, you know, uh, take the blue pill and it all works or take the red pill and it all works. And so it means that it's a lot harder, takes a lot more work. I think in general, 
uh, you need to deploy your the network network to measure what's going on and network to help connect because it's just gonna move slower. The natural retrench in uncertainty is everyone kind of pulls back some. All of us as business leaders, that's our natural impulse to go, okay, make sure I get enough powder, make sure I keep the powder, make sure I'm ready for, you know, have insurance and so forth. Well, that's gonna also be true for these businesses. And so what you need to do in kind of navigating them is have that even a closer set of connections and you have to use the network around it in order to make that happen. Like the influencers who know about the company or talk to the company, uh, and it isn't just raw influence on it, it's, it's awareness of it, it's this co-investment of like, look, this is really important to you and your future and so forth. So I think that's probably the most baseline principle, but a lot of it's gonna be specific. A lot of it's gonna be ad hoc. You know, in your B2B sales, to the obvious little bit is like, well, if you're selling into travel oriented companies, like you're just hosed. I mean, they're hosed. There is no silver lining for the travel industry within this. Uh, and so you go, okay, fine. And that, I just have to adjust off that. But then on the others, the question is, well, which one is it and which dynamic? So if you go say, well, actually, in fact, passenger fleets, you know, Lyft, Uber, et cetera, may be, you know, severely uh, declined in various ways over the next X months, but actually uh, delivery fleets are kind of way up. And so, you know, you say, okay, well, how do we retool uh, as much for that if that's right within the time frame? Because if your time frame is plus is three plus years, then it's like, okay, well, that that doesn't really matter. If your time frame is the next year and companies in the next year, then that does really matter. And that's what I mean by kind of specifics within this arena um, for how to look at it. Do you have any guidance on how companies can can leverage the crisis to basically strengthen their position in the market? I mean, if you look at the history of of downturns, whether it's the internet bubble in the early 2000s, you know, popping, or uh, the Great Recession of 2008, you know, there were a number of tech startups that were able to leverage that to really grow their company and emerge much stronger. So obviously, there's a bunch of things that become challenges, but also in this disruption, it also changes the entire market landscape. It can open up new opportunities. So sometimes, you know, this is all sp like these are the general principles, but the details are very specific to each, you know, kind of company or or market or. Or, or product or service. So you've got the, you know, one thing is you say, okay, well, harder to raise capital, uh, harder to recruit, certain ways harder to operate depending on what the company is, et cetera. But on the other hand, that's true for your competitors as well. The nature of what the competitive game is actually shifts because you say, okay, well, is there ways that I can use this dislocation to actually get a much better position? Another one that you frequently look at, you should always be looking at opportunities, not just, not just you know, offensive game, not just defensive game. But you kind of say, okay, well, is my game a longevity game or is my game a gold rush game, right? Because actually, in fact, in a bull market, a longevity game is very rarely, not zero, but more, much more rarely the right strategy. In a volatile and recessionary market, sometimes, well, actually our competitive advantage is we, have the, we can play the long game, right? We think that what's going to happen is it's going to be a drought, <laughs> right? And we can get through the other side of the drought much better than everyone else. And so that's what we're going to do. So you have to make that evaluation, that macro strategic evaluation, specifically to the to landscape that you're in relative to the market, relative to the competitors. And then you have to think about like, okay, what are the other places that I can do that I can play my unique edge out given how things are changing? For example, some companies and some founders are in better positions for fundraising. Well, that's a different market where you say, okay, I'm playing out capital as an advantage and I do that. Uh, in order to make that play, in order to make that play, the the macro principles are the same, but the details get widely changed and changed across all aspects of business, 
because something that's as big as an impact as the pandemic and the, and the recession that comes from it touches every aspect of business, right? T touches capital, touches the employees, touches the customers and market, touches the competition. And so each of these, well, now you have uh, volatility and uncertainty of an increased dimension, not to 100%, but of increased dimension across all of this. And then you say, okay, well, I'm going to still have to make some, some working theories and working assumptions across it, but I also need to measure it a little bit more. And I also need to be, be willing to get back and measuring it if I need to. And that's the baseline of adaptability. Let's go back to the topic of blitz scaling. Do you have any examples of companies that you think are, are doing this well right now uh, in this current environment that you've seen? And, and can you blitz scale if your industry or market is, is in the middle of this and facing really significant headwinds? Obviously, the degree to which the raw blitz scaling of you get way out over your skis because you're predicting success, you much more rarely do that in this environment. It's not zero. So, for example, you know, we're all on the Zoom call, Zoom, right, and video conferencing and, and products that range from, you know, G Suite to Coda to Figma and all the rest. Go, 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 <laughs> right? Because the, the market demand, as we can see in all these companies, is massively picking up because of the environment we're in. And so that's still blitzscaling. That's still the here we are. These are super important. They're, they're shown to be two years now more important in the market than they were already because of the way the businesses are operating. But the vast majority of companies that aren't kind of in the obvious spot, and by the way, it's not just work, everything transformed in this, but it's also, you get to places where you go, well, okay, I've got some advantages and some disadvantages, right, I'm sorting it out. You may still be blitzscaling because you're moving faster than your competitors, but the true north of blitzscaling is the first mover to scale is what wins, and so being the first to scale is what really matters. And then the sub-goaling of the principles of how you do that, well, those change bull and bear markets and they change volatile. And so you say, look, I'm still trying to be the first there. I'm still trying to move faster. But that might be, as per earlier, it's like maybe playing the long game, maybe playing the, you know, the go through the desert and the drought game. And, and you have to make that decision specific to your market. Then there's a set of businesses, obviously, like travel. You say, okay, Airbnb and travel, right? You go, ooh, travel, difficult, <laughs> painful. Uh, when does international travel open up? But on the other hand, and this is part of the startup, and this gets part of the, the blitzscaling, is Airbnb still can actually, in fact, uh, blitzscale a readaption Because it has a network, and the network has a bunch of different kind of entrepreneurs who are all, like each of the hosts is kind of their own different entrepreneur, and they can say, well, what's the way I can offer a product? They can actually adapt to the new market. And they can do that much faster because they have this network of entrepreneurs, a platform, a marketplace, than other instances in the travel industry. And so they can go, okay, well, you know, maybe what's going to happen is much less international travel for vacation, but maybe people will actually, in fact, say, look, I still need to go do something. And as long as the product has the right kind of biosphere safety, which may be better in Airbnb circumstance in a hotel, because it's not like, like a hotel is much more like a stadium event. And I can still go and do the travel that I need to do, whether it's for entertainment and for work, or maybe there's certain kinds of, of, of use of the space that now a new marketplace becomes available to where having a network of hosts helps you. So even within the travel space, there is that startup and innovation clock that still plays within the blitzscaling landscape. Got it. And you know, within that, how do you determine if something's just a temporary change in, in the way uh, the industry's working or the, the preferences of consumers or businesses, or if it's actually going to be something that's long-term and sustainable post-crisis, post post-pandemic? 
Well, the good news, entrepreneurship is the thing that's going to take us out of the recession. The society needs to be a thousand X behind entrepreneurship because precisely what entrepreneurial skill is, is predicting future product market fit. It takes work per area and you, you know, sometimes paper test things and you sometimes, you know, develop a good theory and test it against smart people. And sometimes you develop the product, maybe in an MVP way, maybe in a full way in order to test it. But the the answer of the changes, the, the high level, fairly obvious, which is now what's going to happen is a, like by by force majeure, a bunch of people have gotten exposure to a bunch of things they hadn't done before. So let's take a microcosm of events, which is before people say, hey, come join the video event. And people are like, oh, I'll wait for the real person event. I like seeing people in person. I'm familiar with it. I know how it fits within my schedule. Um, and so I'm not going to bother trying to figure out these virtual events. Well, now, basically, all these events are virtual events. You know, here we are, right? As opposed to like having, you know, a, a dinner evening at the Rosewood where everyone's at the dinner table and, and we're having this fireside chat well above that and all the rest, we're doing this on a, on a Zoom call, you know, making this work. And what, what happens is looking at these things and saying, well, okay, these behaviors are going to stick and these behaviors are not going to stick once the force majeure backs off and it will back off and will back off eventually to, you know, 90 or 100%. It may slowly back off for the next few months. And you say, well, which of these things stick and which of them don't? And I think like some of the things, like when I kind of look at it is I think we're going to have a lot more virtual events. I think we're going to have a lot more, you know, virtual education. I think these things people are going to say, well, actually that worked. Um, I actually think we're going to have patterns where distributed work works within companies a lot better. And so I've, I've been studying a bunch more distributed work. I've been looking at these things saying, okay, that's going to be a, you're going to be more advanced in that pattern. It doesn't mean that all work's going to be distributed. The classic Silicon Valley is like, oh, because this happened, it's all going to be there. It's like, we're all going to be in virtual worlds. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> right? But it's going to be, have advanced in that direction and it's going to be sticky to being shifted in that direction, like a color shift, you know, in that direction. That's going to be much more part of everything. And so those things, I think, are, are pretty obvious and pretty predictive. But then there's all a bunch of other things which are kind of uncertain. Like, for example, I could tell a story which in three years from now, you know, travel is back to 70% of what it was. And I could tell you a story that three years from now, it's at 20% of what it was. And, you know, where it is in, in that range, you know, I don't know. And what the growth curve from that will be, I don't know. You know, how does that all play out, I think, is what the specific entrepreneurial packages. And that's one of the reasons why network of entrepreneurs and, and working at this is part of what society needs. And then, of course, we're doing it specifically per business. You mentioned earlier, we're not sure whether it's going to be a V-shaped recovery or L-shaped or U-shaped recovery. But are there certain green shoots or, or signs of optimism that you would look for in, in certain markets or industries to know that things are really, really coming back? Look, a bunch of the weirdnesses in the next year are going to be like I think the government has governments have learned not to do austerity measures to try to fix things. Like they're going to be applying stimulus until you know the electric shocks are going to be coming out of the body of the economy. And so what does that mean, and how does that distort it, and which things does that allow to go? And I'm not by no means expert at at predicting that, but I think that's a that's something you will see. You know, generally speaking, people prefer to kind of be optimistic. They prefer to be working towards the future. And so you're going to be measuring where the green shoots are. And I think the green shoots probably are pretty similar to what they were before, which is like you see a pickup of engagement, you see a pickup, um, you know, revenue, you know, as per area. I don't know if there's anything, any principles of, of measurement of when we're back to kind of 
some areas growing versus dying, you know, kind of like the frost has melting that I would offer as specific kinds of measurements. There may be some second order as opposed to the first order effect of like, you've just got engagement. It's like, okay, the, the general capital markets are flowing well again in terms of investment. And then that will probably mean that there's a bunch of employment and there's a bunch of, of other kind of things that go downstream from that. I wouldn't necessarily use the public market, which I think is misleading in volatility uh, as it is now, but like kind of general cap capital flows and investments. That might be a weird measurement that might tell you. There may be certain kinds of engagement or the patterns of change, the, the how engagement changes that may show green shoot. Generally speaking, I've been solving this on a company by company basis versus a general principles basis, but now I'll start thinking about if there is a general principle and I'm super curious if anyone has one. Yeah, and and do you think, you know, assuming we see the green shoots, things are starting to come back, if we got a therapeutic or a vaccine much faster than anticipated, would you expect certain sectors of the economy or industry to, to bounce back really fast from this? Or do you think some of these things like travel, for instance, will still be a, a delayed recovery? For sure on the vaccine. I think there's probably two like, oh gosh, we're going to recover a lot faster than we thought. Uh, one would be a vaccine and there's a lot of work and shots on goal. But, you know, by the way, the question is like, how good is it? And then can you get it to scale of manufacture and a bunch of other things? And then also, by the way, reliable, better therapeutics that could be delivered on a mass scale. That's another version within the vaccine side. I think also, like, hope is not a plan. Um, and, you know, that seems to be what a lot of governments are doing and they're kind of get back to work and kind of economy side, which is, you know, disappointing. But, you know, roughly speaking, one of the things that the experiment we're going to run this summer is, you know, and we're already a bunch of states in the U.S. are already kind of saying, hey, everyone get back to work. Let's go back to the bars and, you know, blah. And it's possible we will discover that the, the disease has got, already got a much more widespread basis, that actually the more people are exposed and the denominator on the symptoms is lower. And so the, the, the recurrence blip is small. And that will be kind of equivalent to a, a similar kind of thing of, oh, okay, we're not as, as, as continued to be at desperate risk we are. And then I think a whole bunch of things will open up because of that. Now, that being said, I think right now planning for volatility is much smarter than planning for certainty that either of those two circumstances is there. Because some things, by the way, take years. And by the way, the micro things on the disease, like I was just doing some calls on this this morning, it's like, well, we don't even really know that this is the kind of disease that you actually can easily get a vaccine for relative to mutations now anyway, because you need a certain mutation rate and a certain kind of thing in order to have a reliable vaccine in order for that kind of thing to work. And we think we can, but again, that's an, a probability of knowledge going back to volatility and planning. How do you see the world economy changing over the next decade? I mean, there's, there's a massive amount of stimulus going in the economy right now from the US government, other governments around the world. There's probably more trillions more coming. What is this debt going to do for the economy and for the US long term? Well, we're certainly going to be testing a number of what were thought to be tried and true, like absolute truths within the economy. And we've already started doing it a little bit, like start seeing negative interest rates and the kinds of things which you like, like for anyone who's got a background in economics and I probably everyone on this call, you can scratch your head and you look at it and go, that can't exist. That can't work. Like that can't work for any kind of time. What's going on? And, you know, to some degree, we're going to be testing those theories and hopefully not to our, to our extreme displeasure. You know, the obvious kind of things is I do think that trillions of dollars of stimulus is going to cause certain kinds of big shifts within the financial system. 
Now, one of the things I was validating about a month or two ago, I actually don't think the dollar is going to lose soon the reserve world currency status. I think too much of the rest of the world still wants to invest in, like have a reserve world currency, and it's the it's the leading, it's still the best thing to do despite all of the other things. I do think you will you will see in different areas inflation. Will you get inflation? Yes. Will you get hyperinflation? I don't think in the dollar or in kind of the major world currencies. I do think what you'll see is a general distribution of a light flattening and devaluation of assets across the board generally, although averages can be misleading because, you know, just look at the stock market today. You look at the tech companies and, you know, they're they're valued at these, you know, you know strong rates. And that's because people say, well, whatever the future is, they're going to probably hold value. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, we in the Valley and we on this call are fortunate to be in the tech industry because I think that will continue to be a place that will go, okay, those, those will be where growth is, those will be where value is. And so even though you say there's this flattening of the average, the tech industry will still generally do quite well. But, you know, the notion of like we're, we're bringing forward the clock where you say, well, how much debt can we load up in a way? And what happens with the fragility of the system with loaded debt? And does it become more fragile? Are there other things we need to do in order to become more anti-fragile? Anyone who says, I know for sure it's going to be X. Okay, that's, there's no for sure. <laughs> What's your advice for, for the employees that are going through whiplash right now with changes in priorities, layoffs, changes in strategy, which may continue, right, given the uncertainty and the volatility uh, as companies try to evolve to this situation? Any advice that you would give to, to founders on, on how to navigate that? That's a great question. I mean, one of the reasons why Chris and I wrote uh, Blitzscaling was because, you know, part of what happens in Blitzscaling is a lot of chaos within the organization. And one of the ideas was to have a book, there were multiple ideas, how to do the strategy, what do we learn from Silicon Valley, how to do it ethically and responsibly with the right kinds of impacts on the society, but also to have something that you would pass out to employees and say, look, this looks chaotic, and here's the kinds of chaos that are actually good and predictive of success, and here's the kinds of chaos that are bad and unpredictive of success. And my guess is right now we need a similar kind of parallel, which is obviously, it's not just the all chaos is good. Chaos is disorder and a bunch of other things that we need to pull together, have priorities, work well. But in volatility, you have a different form of chaos that you need to have a higher level of tolerance for. You need to build that into the organization and the work processes in order to, to operate. So employees need to understand, okay, this isn't crazy. I understand there's a little bit more chaos, a little bit of uncertainty. This kind of chaos is okay. Here's how I help. Here's how I contribute. Here's how I operate well. And then these kinds of chaos we need to drive out. And that map is probably uh, different than the blitzscaling map. Doesn't mean it's antithetical or like counter, you know, like noise predictive, but there's a different kind of, of expectation and, and, and those kinds of things need to be there. Now, some of the obvious things that are true is that I think leaders need to spend more time leading. They need to be weirdly intimate. And like, for example, when you say, well, we're doing these Zoom calls, I need to be more personal, even when I have 700 people on the call and, and be more that way because you need to have more of that. You need to project more for the emotional connection, for the things that people do need to know to, to feel confidence in where the group's going where, and where the organization's going in order to drive that. I think those kinds of things are obvious things that are important in this in this arena that are that may not be as obvious in the, well, let's make sure that we you know, are writing down things and we're doing good distributed tools and and we're allow, uh, allowing for 
you know, the fact that people are home with their families will mean uh, uneven work schedules throughout the day. And how do you make that work in 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 setting priorities and staying there? And and how do you make the organization more adaptive when priorities may change back and forth somewhat more than you would otherwise want or fear? Okay. Uh, next question is just about um, you know for for a lot of people, especially children. Uh, or people newly entering the workforce, like recent college graduates, this this COVID pandemic is, is pretty traumatic, pretty disruptive. Um, and so, and I'm, I'm sure they'll, of course, remember it for the rest of their lives. Are there any changes you see to, to behavior, consumption patterns over time, or these people's lives based on, on this experience? Well, over time is hard to predict. Like ultimately, things equilibrate to where the incentives and economic, like the overall time incentives go. And, and if you can have a kind of free market entrepreneurial ecosystem uh, working, generally that should lead to economic growth and that should lead to a bunch of different things. Now, I did uh, publish a graduation speech um, for you know kind of college grads, although it kind of applies to everyone. And roughly speaking, the high lines of what I said in the speech relative to college graduates and so forth, and this, this plays out, is to say, when you look back, classes that graduate in recessions versus classes that graduate in bull markets, classes that graduate in bull markets do a whole lot better. And it's literally can be a one-year difference. And that's just true so far in history. And I, my guess is that's, it's, it, it is what it is. And what I think that means is that current graduates need to say, well, what are the things to do that create that long-term compounding that I have to spend extra hard work to lean into to make happen? And obviously, one of the things that I was, I was emphasizing was how do you build your network so that you have opportunity flow, so that you have intelligence flow about what's going on in terms of uh, what are the new growth industries and so forth, and so that you stay adaptive to moving to where the industry flows are going to go. Like when is what's the next you know internet? Is, you know what's the next migration to the cloud? What's the next you know these kinds of things so that you can use that network both to to get a good sense of it, get a good sense relative to you, and then move towards it. And one of the things about graduating in the pandemic is that it is very network squashing. The thing, kind of things that people naturally do to build network is to all go, you know, kind of certain kinds of schools or all go to certain kinds of events or all go to certain kinds of, of launcher companies and other kinds of things. And those all become much harder. So you have to invest a lot more work in doing that. And what's more, you have to be creative and think about how to do that. And so that's that was the essence of the speech, which is how to be optimistic in terrible times, because by the way, reality does bite, <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean it's game over. That just means you have to you play smarter, play harder. You've done a lot of investing in the frontier space, frontier areas. Consumer seems to be having a bit of a resurgence. If you could start one company now, uh, Reed, what, what would you do? What space would it be in? Well, like if I was a new entrepreneur looking at this space, all the same principles apply, which is you want to build companies that last decades to hopefully centuries. Decades is obviously the kind of target you can focus on given change and volatility even over that time frame. And you want to see what give you, uh, what are the metaphors that I sometimes use for this? Marines take the beach, army takes the country, police governs the country, country is a market as a way of doing this. And so you go look at, you have to look at like this is, this could be a great country and this is a on-beach approach to doing it. Because by the way, if you don't have the on-beach approach to doing it, then you can never get to the country. So you have to kind of look at those three phases where you go, I have a strong pole star and I have a on-beach approach as a way of getting there. And um, you know, and some of the same principles apply, which is we're in, you know, like massive shifts still to internet and AI and cloud and data 
I, mean, I gave a speech a decade ago at South by Southwest that data was the web 3.0, uh, not video, as people were suggesting at the time. And, and I think a bunch of those pieces are still true. There's obviously a bunch of stuff coming in in synthetic biology and the translation of biology into bits and so forth, not just physical atoms to bits, but also biological uh, atoms and, and chemicals into bits. And you know how does that matter? And that's interesting within the emerging tech. Um, the purest thing is to still do a software startup because software still has the right kind of capital uh, allocations, whether it's consumer enterprise, uh, the purest, you know, small amount of capital in, being able to product market test, grow to something that's really valuable. I don't want to discourage people from doing all the atoms and blended atoms and bit startups because those are really important for society. But if you said, as an entrepreneur, for for an impact and a risk-adjusted and an economics-adjusted, I would do that. And probably right now, bizarrely, um, it would either be this kind of new world of, of, of productivity, you know, the things like Figma and Coda and so forth, or games. <clears throat> you know, maybe Roblox, you know, is you know one thing. Not, not Roblox, obviously, but that kind of arena. Although there's also also communications. One of the funny things that, that I've noted over the last few decades is everyone goes, oh, all the communications tools are all done. And then it's like, you know, five years later, here's a new one, <laughs> right? Because uh, there is always an open space for uh, new communications, whether it's, it's, it's enterprise or consumer uh, as a way of doing it. And those, those would almost certainly be the uh, the areas that I'd be operating in. Collaboration, games, and communications. Yeah, interesting. Thank you so much, Reed. This has been really great. I uh, hope you all stay safe and healthy in this environment.